power in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we know that he gives us the power to experience life change and to have chains broken. Pray that you all have had a, a wonderful uh, past few days as we have been uh, celebrating uh, this holiday. Uh, pray that your hearts are, are ready for God's word. Uh, it's going to be hard not to be after the worship experience that we've had thus far. Amen. Great, great singing, uh, the baptism of little Nate, and the atmosphere that's been set by this choir. What you hold in your hand is not a self-help book. It's not a neat little book of suggestions. It is the very word of God. It is what matters most. We're going to start reading at verse 17. We're going to go to verse 24, and we're going to see what the Lord has to say to us today. The precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, matchless word of God reads, Only... Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what an honor, what a privilege it is to worship you. What a great picture you set before us this morning in Revelation chapter 4. A picture of what it one day will be like as we stand before your throne with myriads of, of angels and, and beings, Father God, that you created for your glory. And Father, we pray, Father, that you would give us a, a taste of heaven now as we experience your Holy Spirit through the word. We pray, Father God, that you, through your word, would break every chain and allow us to have a, a Christ-centered perspective of life. I pray, Father God, that you would give me a clarity and allow your anointing to pour fresh, Lord, that we would leave this place praising you and saying, did not our hearts burn because of what was written and proclaimed? Pray for that person who's heavy-hearted today, maybe over personal sin or personal issues or who are just depressed, or the person who just wandered in today wondering if you're even real, Lord, I pray that you would meet them, that you would be Emmanuel to them. Speak now, Father, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a joy it is, as always, to proclaim God's word. We are in the middle of a, a series uh, within the book of 1 Corinthians, we've been 
preaching and kind of just marching through 1 Corinthians. Wherever we stop on Sunday, we, we pick up the next Sunday. And God has been doing some, some great things in our heart and in the life of the church through his word. And the, the series within, inside of the series, inside of Corinth right now, is entitled Bloom Where God Has Planted You. Bloom Where God Has Planted You. Today we're on part three as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 through 24. And today we're looking at how we are called to live. And the title is Live As You Were Called. Live As You Were Called. You know, it is so easy for all of us as fallen human beings, and even those who are fallen but redeemed by Jesus, to lose focus. It's easy. And, and daily we have to guard against losing focus on what matters most. It's easy for me to say, yes, I love Jesus. And to sing songs of praise to Jesus. And, and 10 hours, 10 minutes, 10 seconds later to find myself discontent loving something or someone more than Jesus. It's easy for us to lose perspective and to, and to become kind of the, the center of our own world and to make everything revolve around us. It's, it's very easy for us to do that. We can easily find ourselves stuck. We can easily find ourselves not only professing maybe to love Jesus and at the same time simultaneously loving something else, but we can find ourselves stuck seeing something that we want so bad that that's really the only thing that we can think about and the only thing that controls us. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wanted something so bad that to you that was life? And no matter how well everything else in your life is going, because you don't have this one thing, life doesn't make sense and life, life doesn't come together. That's, that's our hearts. We have hearts that are prone to wonder. We have hearts that are prone to go astray. And we can easily begin to focus on the things that we want most rather than on the things that God has given us already in Christ. As Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, in chapter 7, he's really doing a, a, a couple of things. One, he is answering the question for them, after you become a Christian, after you give your life to Jesus by faith, how does he call you to live? How does he call you to live? Because we've been made new in Jesus, are, are we now to look at the things that are in our life that we're unsatisfied with and to kind of buck against them in order to create a new reality that goes along with our new birth? And the second thing he's seeking to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is to show us what contentment looks like in Jesus. What contentment looks like in Jesus. So early on in chapter 7, we see that Paul applies this principle of how do we live now that we're in Jesus and what does contentment look like in Jesus to marriage and to singleness? He begins to make an argument for those who are new in Christ, for those who have been born again, does that now mean that if we are unsatisfied with our condition or our circumstances, that we have a right 
to do everything we can to change it? That's what he's been asking. Does, does things change now since I'm married? And we see him answering that question. He's saying no. For those who are in Christ, that doesn't mean that you, you stop enjoying your spouse and being intimate with your spouse. No, you actually continue to do that. For those who are in Christ and your spouse is not yet in Christ, that doesn't mean that you have a right to just divorce your spouse either. No. You've got to live in that by faith. And now he, he takes what he's been talking about and he applies it in this text and shows a, a wider application. He speaks not only to marriage, and he speaks not only to singleness, but, but now he's going to speak to what John Piper calls our cultural distinctives, the things that make us us, the things that we delight in. He's going to speak to that and say, now that you're a Christian, how does it look to be a Christian by faith? How, how does that impact your cultural worldview? How does that impact who you are? Does who you are come before being new in Christ? He's going to answer these questions for us. It is so easy for us to become discontent. It is so easy for us to put things above Jesus. It is so easy for us to buy into the lie that completion, satisfaction, joy, peace comes when we obtain a certain status, when we obtain the respect of a co-worker, when we obtain peace at our home, when we obtain a certain affiliation, a, a certain status, a, a certain respect from people. It's so easy for us to believe that that's what satisfies us. And, and Paul is constantly reminding us that that's not what satisfies us. In fact, what we're about to see in this text is we're about to be shocked. We're about to be shocked at how Christ-centered Paul is and at, at how, satisfa- how much satisfaction one can get from throwing ourselves at the mercy of Christ and finding joy in him and him alone. It's about to be shocking because we believe that satisfaction is going to come somewhere. I believe at times that satisfaction is found somewhere else. It's found in my circumstance being different. Some of us this morning, we're stuck. We love Jesus for some of us, but we're stuck. And some of us, we don't love Jesus despite what we believe and we're stuck. What do you do when you're stuck? What are you doing? That one thing is what you feel you need most, but it's not coming your way. It's not happening. Should we push for it? Should we make it happen? Or is there another way? Paul argues there's another way. There's three things we're going to learn in this text today. The first we're going to see is that we must accept the assignment that the Lord has given us. Accept your assignment from the Lord. Accept your assignment from the Lord. When you are stuck and you believe that there is something, someone, that is what's missing in your life, you need to stop and accept your assignment from the Lord. Accept your assignment from the Lord. Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, we want to remember what Paul has just been talking about. He's just been talking about marriage. And he just painted a picture five verses before of a believing Christian 
that feels stuck in a marriage because they're unbelieving because of their unbelieving spouse. Okay? Their unbelieving spouse. And he says to that believing Christian who's with a non-believer, remember what he said? He says if that non-believer says to you, I'm out. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. He said, be at peace. You are free to let that non-believer go. Okay? You can't make them love you. You can't make them keep that covenant. You're free to let them go. All right? And the air is clear between you, between you and the Lord. But he says, if you're in a marriage and that non-believer says, no, I want to I stay with you. Then he says, you stay with that non-believer as a Christian. And you do everything you can to stay with them in order and with the hopes that God will save that person, that, that God will give them a new heart as well. And we talked last week, what does that look like when you're in a tough season of life and God has not released you? How, how do you be used by God to bring transformation possibly in someone else's heart? So he goes in his next verse after speaking to that specific situation. He says, verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Every single person in the world and every single person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus has an assignment that is given by God. So to that person in here who's just overcome with despair because your marriage is tough and you feel stuck, rather than devoting your attention and your heart to just being free from that marriage, God says, redirect your attention to this truth. Where you are, no matter how difficult it is, it is an assignment given to you from God. It's an assignment. God has called you to it. And we have to embrace God's call. And we have to trust God's call. People were getting saved in Corinth. They were coming to know Jesus. And they were looking at their lives like, man, this is great. I love Jesus. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. But my marriage is whack. And if only God would change this, then I'll be able to live for him. And I'll be able to be fully committed to him. And Paul says, no. Let each of you embrace, accept where God has called you, right where you are. So what am I saying? I'm saying accept the assignment. Stop devoting your attention to trying to upgrade or get out of your current situation. Accept the truth that a sovereign God has placed you where you are, that you are not there by accident nor coincidence, and that God can powerfully use you right where you are. And if he doesn't change your situation, he will change you for the situation. And he will do exceedingly above and beyond anything you can actually think. Some of us are so obsessed with our circumstances changing that we cannot, we cannot be faithful to the mission of God. 
We cannot be faithful to the Great Commission because we are concerned or obsessing ourselves over our current circumstance. And we've got to know that God is a on-purpose God. And he is an on-time God. So accept your assignment. Tim Keller once heard him say, and we've got to stop believing that we're qualified to run our own lives. I'm not qualified to run my life. And when I'm trying to make stuff happen, force stuff to happen, make people respect me, make people like me, make this job happen, make this circumstance change, that's me trying to be in control of my life. You don't have to make anything happen. The Lord is your shepherd. That means the Lord is the one who guides. The Lord is the one who directs. Proverbs 21 and 1 says the Lord has the heart of a king in his hand and like the rivers of water, he turns in any way he chooses. God's in control. So stop looking at our assignment and focusing our attention on it. And let's start thinking about this Lord who has placed us here and saying, Lord, why have you placed me here? And look at what he says. This isn't just to the church of Corinth, but he goes on to say, he says, this is my rule in all the churches. In other words, this is where I preach everywhere. This is where I preach everywhere. It is hard for us to relinquish control and to become unstuck simply because in all of our hearts at moments in time, we just don't trust God. We don't. Sometimes why I don't. When I'm anxious and worrying, and it feels like life is just choking me and choking you. It's, it's, it's in those moments that we, we aren't trusting God. We believe that we have to make something happen. But here's why you can trust God. The one whom Paul said the Lord has assigned, the one who gave you assignment. Here's why you can trust him. It's because of his attributes. It's because of his character. It's because of what Scripture shows. Scripture shows off this God, and it's like, when you really stop and think about who he is and, and, and beg him to give you a heart that trusts him and relinquish control, you start to think about it and say, wait a minute, you're way more qualified than I am to run my life. Let's, let's, let's look at the attributes of God really quick. The attributes of the Lord. One, he's omniscient. That means that God knows everything. He cannot improve his knowledge. So why am I not? fit to run my own life? Because I really don't know a whole lot. And a little bit that I do know, I don't know, or as well as I could. But God, <laughs> he knows everything. He sees the beginning and the end and everything in the middle. And we've got to believe that if we knew everything that God knew, that we would make the same decisions that God has made for our life. But you don't believe that, and we don't believe that if we don't believe he's good. He's good. He doesn't just do good. He is good. Ontologically, his personhood is good. Everything that comes out of him is good. Not only is he omniscient, but he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God cannot increase in power. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. When we look at our assignment, we can just see this because we're stuck here in time. But God is both in the past, in the present, and in the future. 
He's immutable. He's unchanged. The thing that we want now and we feel like we have to have, we may change our mind a month after we get it. Buyer's remorse. We've all been there, right? Not God. James says he's, he's unchangeable. He's holy. Set apart, without sin, without blemish. Not me. He's just. He's, he's righteous. Not only is he righteous, but he's a God of justice. One day he will make everything right. And those who seem to be getting away with things and living intentionally contrary to him, one day they will be exposed and he will correct it. One day the righteous will shine like the sun, the psalmist says. So me getting revenge on someone, thinking that that's the one thing I need the most? No, God is just. He's sovereign. He's in complete control. The Proverbs said, God is so good, in order to bring it in today's uh, terminology, allow me to paraphrase, the Proverbs said, hey, when somebody's out rolling dice trying to get 7-Eleven, God is the one who determines which way the dice rolls. It's not chance, it's not luck, it's God. He is love. 1 John chapter 4, God is love. He doesn't just love, he is love. He's merciful. Doesn't give us what we deserve. This, this is the God who's assigned you right where you are in your current situation. Even though you, it may hurt, it may be painful, and it may be the toughest season, this is the God who has assigned you. A good, merciful, just God. Trust him. Trust your own wisdom. Don't trust your own path. Don't trust your own schemes. Don't, don't trust your own plans. Trust him. Proverbs 16 and 9, the what it says. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. So you may be saying, well, how, how do I know if where I'm at is, is really God's assignment? If you're a Christian, the way we know if, if where you are is God's assignment, it's by trusting in, in God's sovereignty, that God is the one who establishes our steps. He establishes our, our he allows our, our foolish steps as well as our good steps. And no matter where you are right now, you're, you're where he wants you to be, as the psalmist says. The steps of a righteous man is ordered by the Lord. It's ordered by the Lord. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The purpose of the Lord that will stand. Every assignment that the Lord gives us comes with, um, comes with some pain. Sometimes we look at other people's assignment and we're like, man, that's what I want assigned to me. But we don't see the pain that comes with it. Like we, we're tempted to look at Paul and say, man, Paul was an apostle of God. He had a, a special anointing, a special power, but that came with some pain. That came with some rejection. That came with some, some lashes. That came with some, some hatred. 
But Paul was rooted in his call. In tough times, he was rooted in his call. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant, not superstar, a servant of Christ Jesus, called by the will of God. He was rooted in his call. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he starts the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul was rooted in his call. He embraced and accepted his assignment. In times of joy and in times of sorrow. But what am I saying? If we are going to accept our assignment, we must come to this conclusion, what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. That's what accepting your assignment looks like. It looks like while I am in this season of life, I accept where God has me, and I seek him. I make him my priority, not changing my circumstance. I'm you have made changing your circumstance your top priority. God is saying, relax, kid, I got this. I got this, I got you. So the first thing we want to do is we want to accept the assignment that the Lord has called. And now, we see in verse 17 that he makes this point, that's the main point of this passage, that each person lead the life that the Lord, this gracious God, has assigned them. And Paul lets us know that this is the main point of this text by repetition. Right in the middle of the text in verse 20, he says the same thing. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. In the condition by called in which he received when he was, was a Christian. So, and then he says the same thing in verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Let him remain there. And this is tough, and the reason why this is tough, and we're about to look at two illustrations that Paul drew out. The reason why this is tough is because all of us are incredibly man-centered and self-centered. I don't, I don't want to remain in it and where I'm called, this is painful. No, I want it to change. God needs to make it change. And if he hasn't made it change, either something's wrong with me or something's wrong with him. Right? But what Paul is doing is he's turning us from being man-centered to being God-centered. And he's saying, no, you're where you are because the Lord has given you an assignment and given you a calling. So what do you do? Now that I've embraced my assignment, what, what does that look like further? What do I do while I wait? Galatians, I'm sorry, verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not to seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That's point number two. Not only do we accept our assignment from the Lord, but second, we seek to just be faithful or to keep God's commandments. Keep God's commandments. And he illustrates this by pointing to uh, cultural distinctives. He's saying to the person who was a Jew when he was called and who was circumcised, he says, 
Don't seek to remove the marks of circumcision. So to the Jew who's circumcised, and now he learns about being free in Christ and about no longer being under the law, he's saying, yo, don't obsess yourself about looking like a, a Gentile underneath your clothing. Because that was happening. They actually had a, a, a method of clearing up the scar of circumcision and making you look uncircumcised. And Jews were now trying to undo what was done. Paul is telling them, listen, it's not about whether or not you're circumcised or whether you're uncircumcised. And he says the same thing. He says, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? So he's talking to a Gentile. If when you came to know Jesus, you were uncircumcised, he's saying, don't become obsessed now with receiving the marks of circumcision. It's funny how our heart works, right? Our heart really struggles to be content. Whatever we have, we don't want it, and then when we don't have it, we want it. So Solomon said, a whole book of the Bible about Ecclesiastics, we are constantly chasing after the wind thinking that improving our condition is what's going to bring satisfaction. This is, this is interesting because these are cultural distinctions. He is going for the heart. Could you imagine being a Jew reading these words? Was anyone at the time of his call, uncircumcised, let him not seek circumcision, verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Circumcision counts for nothing? Jews were, they found their identity in being the people of God, and circumcision was a, a covenant mark. You're telling me, Paul, that it no longer, it counts for nothing? What is Paul saying? Paul is saying Christ comes before your ethnic distinctive. Christ is more important than being black. Right? Some of us, we're that way. We are a black Christian. And we find our identity in being a black Christian. And everything is about our identity, our race, our history, our culture. Paul's not, he says, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, what we take pride in is not our cultural distinctives. It's not what family we were born into. It's not what accomplishments we have. It's not what letters before or behind our name. What we, that means nothing. What we take pride in is Christ. And he's saying when you're on your assignment and in your assignment, you have to know that what matters most is keeping the commandments of God, not some cultural distinctives. That would have been shocking. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Same words in verse 19 and verse 20, this idea that he was telling the church at Galatia who was having a huge issue with cultural distinctiveness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, we read these words. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. 
What matters? But only faith working through love. Blowing up their cultural distinctions. That's, that's what they were finding their identity in. And even while we're on assignment, sometimes the reason why we are just straight up freaking out, having panic attacks, and only obsessed with the one thing we have is because we're finding our identity in that more than we are in Jesus. He says what matters is faith, our faith, showing itself out in love. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's not putting us back under the law. He's not saying obey the commandments of, of God in terms of let me put you back under the law while you're in your assignment, just keep the law. No. What is he saying by keeping the commandments? He's saying live a life of faith that shows itself out in love. So that's, that's the Christian law, so to speak. It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So while you are in the place that you are in, how are you loving the Lord? And how are you loving other people? That's what matters. That's what matters. And getting to that place when we're in a season of pain, getting that place when God is, has us under the knife and he's working on us to where we are consumed with just being obedient to God, man, that takes, that takes prayer. That doesn't just happen. That doesn't just magically happen. That doesn't just let me stop, let me think, okay, I'm focusing on God, I'm focusing on God, I'm going to do it today, I'm going to focus on God. I'm not going to make myself want this. I'm not going to put my cultural distinctives, I'm not going to put my degree, I'm not going to put my accomplishments of God, God, let me think, let me think, okay, and this is going to magically, no, that's not how it works. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, be anxious for nothing but through prayer, through prayer and supplications, make your requests made known to the Lord, right? It is when we do the hard work of getting on our knees, which takes humility, and praying and crying out to God, saying, God, I'm finding my identity in this. God, I want this. All I can see is this. That takes prayer. And then he said, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will control you. That's a daily grind. It's a daily process. So while you are where you are, focus on how. You can fulfill God's command to love him and to love your neighbor, not how you can get out of your situation. And their marriage is whack. Just want out. God says, no, you focus on me, and you let me deal with the whackness of your marriage. And singleness is hard, it's tough, feels like I'm drowning. God says, listen. You focus on me, a sovereign good God who has assigned you to singleness in this season, and you let me, you let me handle your condition. Because when we don't let God handle it and we do it in our own strength, we mess it up. We, jack, we make it worse. And then we blame it on God. Well, I prayed two weeks ago, and he didn't do nothing, so I figured I had to make it happen. Up comes the skirt, right? Out comes the muscle tees, making it happen, right? Or retaliating. Retaliating in our own strength, going blow for blow, tally for tally, making it happen. Yeah, it's happening. That divorce is coming. Like, well, that's why I wanted to begin with, yeah, but you're bucking against your assignment. 
No, seek to be faithful to God. Open your Bible, clear the table, do the hard work of hard work, read it, pray, read it, pray, read it, pray, get on your face, let the mascara run, give it to daddy, he can handle it. So we embrace our assignment. We seek to keep the commandments of God. Look at verse 21. Which will lead us to our third point. Embrace the good news. Embrace the good news. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. Now I'm going to be honest. I wrestled with this thing this week, right? I read that. My, my, my little hands started shaking, right? Like, wait, 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 hold on, Paul. You want to clear this up, right? It says, were, were you a slave when you were called? When you received Christ, were you a slave? Don't be concerned. Don't be concerned about it. He continues. But if you can, gain your freedom. Avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free, who, he was, who was free when called as a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price, so do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Embrace the good news. That doesn't sound like good news, but it is. What is Paul doing here? Again. He is debunking the lie that in order to be a good Christian, you have to have the perfect circumstances or right circumstances. He is debunking the lie that in order to have joy in your life, you need this one thing. And he goes to two extremes. He attacks their cultural distinctives, the things that they're taking pride in, being a Jew or a Gentile, and then he takes it there. He says, that goes for you as well if you're a slave. Now, we have a problem with that because when we read that, a number of reasons, but one, when we read that, uh, most of us as, as black Christians, the first thing we think about is the American institution of slavery. Now, I do want to note that slavery during Paul's time was not the same as the American institution of slavery. However, I think that he, he would have said the same thing. Okay, slaves in the Roman Greco era, it was, it was, it was less ethnic oriented. Um, and it was, it was more, uh, and, and sometimes just a vocation in some ways. You could be a slave and still be a doctor or be educated. Whereas in American slavery, that wasn't the case. Very few cases when slaves had that opportunity. But what is Paul doing here? He's saying, even if you're a slave and you are under the rule of a master, I don't want you to be anxious about being free. While you are on assignment, be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord 
by cultivating a heart of faith, giving your heart to Jesus, begging God, begging the Holy Spirit to give you the fruit of the Spirit, cultivating a heart of God through faith that expresses itself in love so that the person who is over you can see how good God is and how he is working through you. Why? Because Paul is Christ-centered and mission-oriented. The only way that we can accept Paul's words is if we say there is something more important than physical freedom. There is something more important than my circumstances changing. And what is more important than physical freedom is Jesus. Seek you first the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Then say, seek you first your freedom. He says, seek you first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's life with God under his rule. Seek you first life with God under his rule, and all these other things will be added. In other words, I'm God, I'll take care of it. Peace will be added. Joy will be added. And if it's God's will, freedom will be added. But if not, you can have joy and peace while being physically in, in, enslaved. One of the favorite works on the religious history of African Americans recently read was in a book called Canaan Land by Albert J. Robeto. And he, he writes about slavery and the whole institution. And then in, in chapter, I believe it's number four, he writes a chapter called The Invisible Institution talking about the church. And here's what he says. We're picking it up mid-paragraph. God struck me dead was the vivid expression used by former slaves to describe the onset of conversion. An overwhelming feeling of inner transformation in which sadness, fear, and rejection changed to joy, confidence, and acceptance. Believing that God had chosen them to be saved, they spoke of conversion as an experience of rebirth, of being made entirely new, of being filled with love for everything and everybody. They felt that they were of infinite worth as children of God, no matter what slaveholders thought and taught. For those facing the brutal conditions of slavery, the daily physical, psychological, and emotional attacks against their worth as a person, to experience the acceptance and affirmation of God renewed their sense of value and importance. The new birth, being transformed by the word of God, by the good news of Jesus Christ, changed their perspective as slaves. And even though they were in horrific situations, inhumane situations. History teaches that slaves were still able to, to live with joy and to sing songs about Jesus and to get their work done in the midst of pain because they had experienced something that superseded their condition. And I was reading stories, and I read one story about a, a, a preacher in Atlanta and how he was used by God to, to transform his, his slave master, as a slave master would beat him because he was preaching to the other slaves about Jesus. One day the slave master beat him and came to a place of saying, wow, Drop, he dropped his, his whip, the slave picked up the whip and gave it back to him. And he said, wow. He then went to him and said, man, I need you to baptize me. 
Because there is something going on in your heart that would allow you in this condition to still be loving. Now that in no way is okaying, Paul is not okaying the institution of slavery. No, that's not what he's dealing with. It's not, that social institution is too big, it was ungodly, it was inhumane. But what he's saying is the way you change people is from the inside out. It's from you being changed from the inside. You being obedient to the Lord. And then watching God change. And that's the same thing he was saying previously to those who are married to unbelievers. He says, no, if you can, if they consent to stay with you, you stay with them. So that they may be saved. 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, are you married to an unbeliever? Shocking, the whole book of Peter is about suffering. Are you married to an unbeliever? That means she was suffering? He says, no, you, you focus on Jesus and you allow your pure conduct to win him over. God was more, Paul is focusing on inward transformation rather than social revolution. Why? Because he couldn't change and start a social revolution, but he knew that the gospel could change an inward transformation. And that inward transformation can eventually bring about a social revolution. That's what we see with the civil rights movement. The message of love, the message of Jesus. Begin to, to change some things. Coupled with other things that God ordained. Continue. Look at your Bible. For you a slave when called. Don't be concerned about it. Don't be anxious about it. Don't make your whole life about being free. Make it about being obedient, being godly. Make it about loving Jesus. He says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. It's a very difficult section to, to translate. But I agree with modern trans, translations and, 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 and uh, theologians that Paul is saying, if the, if the door is open, walk through it. What are you saying? Don't force it. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. This is why the gospel is good news. Paul is about to show us two different things. He's saying he who was called in the Lord as a slave, is a freed man of the Lord. He's saying, even though you may be physically in captivity, you are free. Why? Because as Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. In spite of your circumstances, you are free. That person who's your employer, who, who is less hanging over you and seeking to control you, they don't control you. When you understand what God has done, you are free. They may pull strings and make life difficult, but you are free in God. You have a richness in God. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly place. You have been declared righteous by God. You have been accepted by God. You are his beloved. He sings over you in spite of your present circumstance. That's, that's the person that's free. The person that even in the midst of their circumstance don't allow someone who's taunting them to control them with their words, 
But even in the midst of taunts, even in the midst of being mistreated, even in the midst of being stepped on and looked under, they're able to still muster up a smile and still muster up some Jesus. That's the person that's free because no matter what you do to them, you can't take what matters most. That when you called and you were a slave, he says, man, you, you're really free in Jesus. So you're stuck. You accept your assignment. Embrace it. This is tough. It hurts. It's painful. I don't want to be here. But God is good, and he has me here for a reason and for a season, and this is my assignment. And while I'm on assignment, I am going to be faithful to the Lord. I may fail. I may make mistakes every now and then. I may slip up and cuss, but I'm going to fall on my face. I'm going to repent. I'm going to seek to improve through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to grow. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. may slip. I'm going to be careful. I'm not going to slip right there the next time. I'm going to do everything I can and not. I'm going to focus my attention back on Jesus. I'm going to walk straight. I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to sing about him. I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to try to bring other people to him. And the whole time, if he's not changing your circumstance, guess what? You focus on Jesus, he's changing you. And that job becomes your mission field. That marriage becomes your mission field. And God is faithful. I believe that if we sow, we, we will reap. And if we don't, it's all according to his sovereign plan. We may not live to see it, but maybe the generation after will say, we are here because this person was faithful. This person was faithful. So what Paul says, for the person who's enslaved, they're really free. But look at how he flips it. Verse 22. He goes on and he says, For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. So for the person who is in physical bondage, he says, you're free in Jesus. But for the person who was uh, saved and who was free in Jesus, he wants to humble them and says, you're a slave of Jesus. That's what the gospel does. It, to the humble, it exalts them. And to those who would be tempted to go in pride, it humbles them. That's what James chapter 1 says. He says, the humble will be exalted, and the rich, he says, will be brought. The, the gospel hits us where we need it to hit us in order to give us a, re, a response and a, a life that is centered on Jesus, not on ourselves. Let's finish up. Hear these words. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. You were called by God. You received a, a call into salvation. You accepted that call. And he says, you, you were bought with a price. It's an identity. It's that price, the price that was paid with the life of Jesus. You now belong to me. You don't belong. You're not a slave to man. 
just slave to me. And my yoke is, is easy. My burden is light. He says, but, but do not go back to being slaves of men. When we obsess over something, over our condition, when we obsess over promotion, when we obsess over being free from marriage, when we obsess over being married, we become a slave to that obsession. It controls us. It runs us, and it ruins us. It is a broken system. It will not fulfill us. Paul says, don't let any of those things keep you in bondage. Remember that you were bought with, remember that you were precious to me, Jesus said. Precious to the person who matters most. You've been given eternal life. You've been given access to eternal joy. You've been given something that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. In spite of our circumstance, God is faithful. And if we stop to think about it, everybody has something in their life that they don't like. And we always will have a part of our life, a part of ourselves that, that we want change. But if we obsess over it, it's going to take us down. Obsess over Jesus. So brothers, closes out with the same words in this section. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. There let him remain with God. Don't obsess over it. Stay there with the Lord, with God. Because if you remain there with God, something can happen. Now, these, this is a principle. <laughs> we, we, of course, we want to use wisdom. Same time, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he did, uh, did everything he could to become all things to all men. We know that in Acts chapter 16, he, he did have Timothy circumcised for the sake of the mission being able to reach Jews. But he's saying, don't concern yourself with it as a rule. Don't become anxious. So what is it? What's, what's on your heart that's driving you? What is that thing that you think that if you don't get, life doesn't and won't make sense? He's saying, give it to God. Trust him. Trust that he knows what he's doing with your life. Trust that he's better than Picasso. You may not understand every stroke that he's making, but at the end, it's all going to make sense. Trust that he's a good God. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, help me, Lord, to accept my assignment. Areas, Lord, where I don't want to accept it. Help us all, Father. Help us, Father God, to obey your commands by faith for the purpose of love. Help us, dear God, please, Lord. Help us, Lord, to receive this good news that no matter what condition we're in, we are really free in Christ. I pray, Father God, for that person who has relational stress and they just feel like they, they're about to scream, they're about to break, and they can't go any further. Father God, help them, Lord. Turn them to you. Help them to treasure your son. 
through death, burial, and resurrection. The person who's looking at others and saying, I I need to be in that position, I need to have that, help them to know that that is a lie. Please, Holy Spirit, make us a church that's content. Help us to learn to be content. Help us to grow in content. Make us a church that seeks first the kingdom of God, that puts you as our first priority and not ourselves, Father God. Make us a church, Lord, that in our brokenness that runs to you, that even crawls to you, Lord, but not away. Make us a community, Father God, that ministers to each other with grace and truth, that looks each other in the eye at times to say, listen, you're making it about you, make it about Jesus and trust him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.